Before we start this episode, we just want to inform our listeners that at times we talk about issues that can be triggering to some people. Our intention is to educate and raise awareness around the tough issues that aren't always talked about. Today's episode contains discussions of suicide, self-injury behavior, depression, and or reference of other mental health disorders that may act as triggers. If you are having thoughts of suicide, know that you are not alone. Please reach out to our office at 306-446-4444 or the National Suicide Hotline at 1-833-456-4566. Welcome to the Basak View. We are the Battlefords and Area Sexual Assault Center, and this is an educational podcast about consent, self-healing, and keeping yourself safe. All the topics you hate talking to your kids about sex, puberty, body safety, growing up, and most importantly, the power in no, because consent is mandatory. Welcome to episode 23 of the Basic View. It's Amber back with you again this week, and I'm super excited to introduce our guest. On today's episode, we have Jose Pruden. Jose is the wellness director at Battle River Treaty 6 Health Center. And not only is she a brilliant Métis woman from the Battlefords, she's been a mentor to me and is now someone I'm lucky enough to call my friend. So welcome to our podcast, Jose. Good day, Amber. I'm excited to be here and for our listeners to, I don't know, get a taste of our conversation. I know. I'm really glad that you jumped at the opportunity when I asked you to come do this with us. So before we dive into today's topic, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, what you do at BRT6, and the services that the wellness department offer. I know there's lots that you guys do over there. So my name is Jose. I'm from Treaty 6 Territory, North Battleford. I grew up here. Uh, lived here for most of my life. Of course, I was ready to leave when I was 15, like most teenagers. And when I was 18, I did leave. And then 10 years later, I came back. And I love living in this community and raising my son here and being part of my niece's lives. It's it's a great place to be. Um, my job is the wellness director at Battle River Treaty 6 Health Center. And I um, see that as a code of just bossing people around. But actually, I don't do a lot of bossing. (laughs) I do a lot of working with our First Nations to find out um, what their needs are around mental health and addictions, because there is a lot of need out there, and working with them and advocating on their behalf to get funds to provide services. So our department started 11 years ago. We were a tiny little department of three. Now we are at the 26 staff numbers. So we provide mental health and addictions counseling in our First Nation communities for both youth and adult. And we have adult counselors in North Battleford that provide urban services. And we just added a youth counselor as well who will provide urban youth counseling services because we saw a need there. Uh, We also started during COVID, which is now like over two years into our third year. started a matrix outpatient program so it's an intensive addictions program and so that actually was a pilot that went really well so we're keeping it around so it's just another alternative for people who want some treatment around their addictions 
In addition, we support an opioid recovery program. We're helping with the province to um, deliver a rapid access addictions medicine clinic. We have um, outreach services like a liaison that goes into the hospital and supports people in mental health. We have a youth transition worker who helps youth so they don't fall through the cracks because sometimes it takes a long time to get them into services. Um, and all of those follow a harm reduction philosophy. So working with people where they're at, we have a strong connection with our downtown hard to house population and we never turn down them for services even as challenging as it can be sometimes. And then the heart of our program is our cultural team. So we have two cultural facilitators and two elders and they keep us on track, reminding us, you know, the good way we need to be working, supporting our staff and our clients and helping to create that balance that we need. Yeah, you guys really are a full service department over there. It's something that, I mean, I worked at Battle River, so I'm aware of the wellness, but something that I just love that is offered in our community and and Battle River seems to be when they see a need they're like okay let's address it we'll figure it out we'll find a way and I know as the director that's your job right your staff come to you with like an idea and I remember you always saying bring me a budget and we'll figure it out right and so I just think that's important that that is acknowledged that you guys do work hard to always provide those services with you know the cultural component at the heart of everything and meeting people where where they're at. Um, that's something. And Battle River has been a fantastic ally over here at BASAC. You know, we've worked together with your addictions counselors. They've brought us out to the communities to do work. And so we're really thankful for that that partnership and, and working with you guys to address the need, um, getting out of those silos and working together to really help um, the people that we serve. So when I first asked you to be on this podcast, there was really no hesitation. You immediately were like, yeah, I'm in. But because you have so many tools in your toolbox, we were like, okay, so what do we talk about? The options are sort of endless. Um, And so there are many issues that we hope to bring to the listeners on this podcast. And our goal is always to tackle the hard stuff, tackle the stuff that people don't want to talk about tackle the stuff that makes people uncomfortable but is really important you know we've done podcast episodes with for parents around sexting and and how to talk to your kids about social media and also like take your power back with that cell phone that you pay for right like we talk about all those things all the time um and so keeping that in mind today jose and i are going to talk with you guys about child and youth suicide and again before we get started I just want to go back to our trigger warning at the beginning of this episode and just encourage if you are having any feelings of harming yourself anxiety depression anything at all please reach out there are people that will will support you um, and don't hesitate so Jose why do you think it is an important topic to talk about. Uh, because it happens. <laughs> it's out It's out there. There are children and youth who are thinking and dying about suicide or dying by suicide. And um, it's a real issue. And I think, I think we're getting better at talking about suicide with older teens and adults. But we're not recognizing that children under the age of like 12 can have and think about suicide and attempt suicide and also die by suicide. 
Now, thankfully, we don't see it at the same numbers, but we know that children who think about suicide become teenagers who act on it. And so if we can do that work when they're younger and find out, hopefully we can change kind of their life direction and get them connected to services. Do you think that there's the thought process around that is based on, you know, children don't have the emotional capacity to think or understand things? I know I always, when I'm talking with people, say, you think that kids don't hear or know things, but they are like sponges and they suck everything up. They just don't have the tools of how to deal with those emotions. A hundred percent. Like kids get it. There is actually lots of research. There needs to be more, but there is on children. And most children by the age of seven can define what suicide is or what how you can make yourself be dead what kind of tools, like what you would need to do that, or even where to go to figure it out. Like kids know how to use the internet, people. <laughs> like They can find information on there. It's not hard to do. And so we need to address that. We need to have conversations and recognize when kids are kind of asking for help in really uninviting ways. Like they're not coming up to us and saying, hey, I've been having these really bad thoughts. Can you help me? But they do it in other kinds of ways. So what what would you, what would be some of those ways for people for people listening? Because I I know they're not going to come out in the same way a teen would or an adult would. So what would you maybe watch for, or or what would you what advice would you give for people when that they're working with children or for their own children? Yeah, I mean we can't have a complete list, but for sure when when things are out of the normal, uh, when kids maybe start picking fights when they normally didn't do that. Or um, I think of like tummy aches and headaches. Those are often a sign of depression or other mental illness in young children um, or anxiety, but it also could lead them to thoughts of suicide. Those could lead to thoughts of suicide to get rid of that like uneasy feeling. Um, You know, just journaling or art pictures that have you concerned. Again, all of these things don't mean they are thinking about suicide, but if you don't find out, how do you know? So there, you know, I say like differences in their baseline, they stop wanting to go to school, um, their schoolwork is maybe underperformed like than that used to be, um, they start maybe hurting animals or pets at home or um, just having really different conversations around death and maybe that's out of the blue, like It would be normal if you had a death in the family and they had questions, but all of a sudden they're really curious and maybe start to get a little obsessed with the conversation. Um, And if you think about how we talk about death with kids, it's really confusing because we say, you know, our pets go across the rainbow bridge and to a lovely place and you can go meet your loved ones when you die. Like We have a lot of religious teachings and Mm -hmm. I get that. We need that, but it's really confusing for young children who don't who are so concrete, Mm -hmm. they don't get that spiritual peace yet. And so to them, maybe they think they can end their problems and connect with their family member that's already died or see their dog again running in the field. And so we we as adults kind of do a disservice <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm thinking right death for kids. Yeah, and I'm thinking right now we say things like Nana's not in pain anymore. Nana's not hurting anymore. Yeah. She's in a better place. And so for a child that might be hurting, 
that could be confusing to them, right? Like if I'm hurting and I die, then I don't hurt anymore. So language is really important. And I think we have to start having more honest conversations with our kids around death. Kids, kids get Mm -hmm. what death is and they see it in context. And just like what you said, if, if Nana was really sick and Nana was taking pills and Nana's not here anymore, like how long does it take for them to connect some dots? Not long at all. And you're right. Kids are always listening to every conversation to an app that adults are having. And so they're making their own assumptions and decisions about what's happening. But because no one's talking to them, they know they probably shouldn't ask questions about it. And so they're just left figuring it out either with each other, like with other children or siblings, or they're doing it on their own. And sometimes they're making, you know, decisions that can be really harmful or even lead to death for themselves because they're struggling with not getting kind of like a clear answer of what's going on. Absolutely. So I know that uh, there's conversations around, you know, we don't want to talk to kids about suicide because that will encourage them to act on those thoughts. You and I know that's that's not the case. Um, but how would you explain that to you know, say a teacher or a parent that's saying, I've noticed some behavior changes in my kid and or my student and I'm concerned, but I don't want to ask this question because I know even in the assist training, we're taught, ask the question, just mm-hmm. straight out, ask it. So I'm just wondering how we could explain to our listeners, you know, by asking that question, you're not encouraging anything that they're not already thinking of. Asking that question isn't going to make somebody act on their suicidal thoughts. Right. So I'm going to answer this in two ways. One, for sure, that's a myth. Um, Humans are not that suggestible. Like, it takes a long time to brainwash people because if it didn't, a lot of people would give me extra money when I suggest that they should pay me more often with different things, right? (laughs) Absolutely. It doesn't happen that way. So just like asking someone clearly and directly about suicide, if it's not already there, we're not putting it in their mind. With children, we're not putting it in their mind, but we would do it in a way of curiosity. Like, do you know, Do you? does it make sense? Do you know what the word suicide means? Mm-hmm. And if they don't, do you think people can make themselves dead? And kids are honest and they'll give you those answers. And then you can go in, you know, if they said, yeah then, well, have you ever thought of making yourself dead? Is that something you've ever thought of? And so you're not putting the ideas, but you're just really curious and wanting to know their understanding and getting the answers to it. There's a lot of really good uh, training out there that can help people maybe feel comfortable isn't the right word, but get the tools to be able to do this. Because let's face it, talking about death and dying with someone, especially a child or a youth, is not comfortable. But it's necessary when you need to do it. Absolutely. It's the conversations that that need to be had. And I sort of look at it by asking that question. I'm letting that child know that I'm safe and that they can talk to me and they can trust me because you're asking it in that way with curiosity, not in I'm not angry or I'm not shaming or blaming. It's, you know, with that curiosity, then they know that that door is cracked open. They can also talk about those things. And that's the really important piece with anyone who struggles with mental health. The stigma around asking for help or talking about feelings is there. And with children, I would say it's even worse because 
as adults, we don't like to think that children are thinking and feeling these things. So how are the children supposed to feel? Exactly. (laughs) So is it possible to predict suicide or how... I mean, we talked about this a little bit with with what to watch, but um, just in conversations around, is it possible to predict suicide? So I've talked with parents that are concerned because there was a suicide in their family and now they're, they're worried that it's going to have like a chain reaction or the child was watching something on the internet that was about suicide and now they're worried. And so I know there's behavior things, but would you say it's possible to predict suicide or more likely possible to see those changing behaviors? Yeah, I don't know. It's The brain is a really complicated organ that we have, and so it's really hard to predict how it's going to take in that information. But I do think we can look at those risk factors, and those risk factors could be indicators that suicide might be on the table if we don't do something about them. So for the child who has suicide in their family, we do know that that increases the risk of suicide later on in someone's life because it's like a learned behavior. Mm -hmm. But um, if we put resources in there, we do some resilient training, we get them, you know, different ways of coping, we can change that path. And so I think the more we know about people's risk factors, I mean, here we are at BASAC, well, Sexual assault as in a young child, I mean at any age, but at a young child, increases the risk for suicide at any point in their life. And so that is something we should know and we should protect against. So I don't know necessarily if we have predictors, but we do can look at risk factors and then say, how do we deal with these risk factors? We always can't get rid of them. We can't get rid of your family history of suicide. That's just going to be there. Mm-hmm. But we can definitely put in some predictor, some protective factors to like balance the equation so that you have resources to go to. And I think sometimes we forget to look at those risk factors in our own lives, but in other people's lives. Like we know one huge risk factor is getting involved with drugs and alcohol. We live in North Battleford. We grew up here. It was a rite of passage to drink and get high and go out and it was no big deal like no one said don't do that yet the young and people are doing it younger and younger well those are risk factors for then also thinking of suicide absolutely and the the drugs and alcohol that the youth have access to now are much different than when you and I were young and growing up here so that's another added layer But talking about risk factors, I think it's important to point out that there is no stereotypical person that is at risk for suicide. So your kid could be a straight A student involved in lots of extracurriculars, happy and outgoing and still be at risk to suicide. It doesn't necessarily always have to be the child that has suffered a trauma or has been abused or, you know, has parents with addictions issue. There's no, we see it with sexual assault all the time, right? Anybody is at risk. It doesn't matter. And that's with children too, right? Your socioeconomic status doesn't matter. Your gender doesn't matter. Your ethnicity doesn't matter. And so just learning to have the conversation and watching for behavior changes, I would think would be the more important things than 
you know, this child comes from a family that has suicide in it, so they're more at risk. Yeah, like we, and that's a stereotype that, like us here at BASAC, we're constantly pushing back on. And I would, I would assume that it would be the same when you're thinking of children. For sure. I mean, that's the what do I say? The one thing about suicide is it don't care who you are, Mm -hmm. where you come from, uh, who your parents were, any of that. Uh, Definitely, there are, like you said, risk factors that might tweak it a little bit more where some people but it's the individual again Mm -hmm. right we don't look at risk factors as a whole group we look at it at the individual um but yeah suicide knows no boundaries it doesn't care what your religion or your cultural teachings were it it really just our mind can go to dark places every single one of us I know. And when I was actually doing research for this podcast, one of the questions that I stumbled across was who is at risk? And I thought, well, everybody. Yeah. I don't even know if this is a question that I need to ask Jose because there's no, I mean, wouldn't it be great as a mental health professional if it was like group A is at risk for suicide and nobody else and we could focus all of our support on group A, but that's, that's not the case, which is why I think the work that you do and the conversations that we're having today and the conversations that we encourage people to have, that's really going to have the lasting impact than trying to, you know, look at a group of 10 kids and think, Oh, this one, I I see something. And you know, when all of them, like the individual experiences, all sorts of things. I think it's important for us to know that there are groups of people that tend to have higher rates of suicide, Mm -hmm. but not when it comes that's good information for like prevention programming and where maybe we should access more funding. But when it comes, I think, to directly having those conversations, it's anybody at any time that can be thinking of suicide. So it's like, yes, we need to cover those stats. We do know that the Indigenous children in Saskatchewan, especially girls, have an astronomically higher rate of suicide than their counterparts that live in mainstream. But um, that doesn't mean we mainstream kids can't be thinking of suicide as well, right? Like we still need to be doing an intervention with anyone who's thinking of suicide. Yeah. So intervention. So what would that what would that look like on a real basic level for our listeners? You know. So say I'm a parent and I ask the question you know to my young child have you ever thought about suicide you know what that means all of those questions and my child says yes and I watched a video of how to do it what do I do where do I go because I'm panicking right as a parent not everyone has the tools so if I'm just a regular parent and hear this what do I do Yeah, first of all, if you're a regular parent and can have that conversation with your kid, (laughs) awesome. Yes. (laughs) That is a really hard conversation. And I know, I mean, I have been asking the suicide question for my, since I was like a teenager to people. So it takes a long time to get comfortable with it. But I think if you're a parent and you're able to ask that question, awesome. If you can ask that question, find people who can do it. So we have lots of resources. You know, you can access 811, which is our health line, and they have mental health professionals there. You can go come to places like BASAC or Battle River Treaty 6 Health Center or Catholic Family Services. They have people who are trained to help support 
that conversation, but also to support the next steps. Now what? Because having thoughts of suicide and if we find out is actually a good thing if we find out when it's at the thought stage so we can put in some supports. It's when they're actively involved in trying to kill themselves where, you know, they're farther along in the planning where it's scary and that's when you would, you know, reach out to emergency services if you were to like walk into a situation like that. I think we have a lot of resources and I don't think we should discount our informal supports too so if you're connected to a religious or a cultural community and you have supports through that or your kids are really connected to other adults in their life or other support people mentors those are really important protective factors also maybe not for that immediate suicide but to help support the child because it's a community that does this you not one person is gonna like carry that kid along we need the community to do it. But the number one people for children are their parents or their guardians, whoever's taking care of them. They're the number one to keep safe. They can watch them. They can have the conversations. They can learn skills. You know, we can teach them ways to support their child. They are key. When it gets to older, like youth, teenagers, parents are less important in their life. Oh, we know. <laughs> and so then we, you know... Look at other resources, looking at peers, supporting peers, um, and or younger mentors helping to support them as well. And again, getting them connected to the right, you know, health professionals is good too, is important. Yeah, and that whole wraparound, I love the wraparound because it does, I always say even just in my own life with my own family, it takes a village. I mean, I'll be honest, Jose's run kids to hockey practice (laughs) a couple times for me, but when you're dealing with mental health, really that wraparound and making sure there's lots of support that's open and safe and trusting is is going to help deal with all those emotions. And that's not saying it's not going to ebb and flow and dip and turn and, and go on that journey. But um, And then the support for the parents is there too, right? No one is, would ever expect a parent that doesn't have some sort of training to, even I guess if they did, to know how to handle this in their own home. And so as a parent, if you don't know what to do, even if you have concerns, and like Jose said, you don't know how to ask a question or you don't want to ask the question, that's okay. Reach out. Mm-hmm. There's lots of organizations that can help facilitate that and then join the wraparound team for your child. It's not it's not an individual thing that should be expected of a parent to know what to do, to know what to say, know what to watch for and and all of it. I think a really good resource for our kids is the kids helpline, mm-hmm. which I know the text number is 686868. <laughs> uh, but you can text it, you can chat it, chat on it or you like on the computer or call it. And I just think it's a really really good resource that meets kids where they're at so if a parent you're worried when you're not around them all the time you know pop on the line with them and and ask them how they can use it how they can be of help you know show them how to text the number and have it on their phone Um, even if it's not about suicide and they just are like I don't know having a crappy day and want some support it's just a kind of like a safe way for kids these days because they are attached to their devices mm-hmm. um, to reach out and get really good, like, supportive help. Well, and, and they have the anonymity too, right, through texting. Sure. There's no one knows who they are. So that might be the safest option for yeah. that child, what they feel is the mm-hmm. safest option. Because at the end of the day, all of this, I think of all the training I've had, 
the same message comes out and it's about being connected, mm-hmm. right? That's what saves people's lives is someone noticing them, summing them, asking them about suicide is great if it's about suicide and then really getting them connected and following up and because often people get to the point of suicide, even kids, because they feel alone. Mm-hmm. And even though we can see they're not alone, in their head they can't see that. And so it's important that connection is key. Connection is, yeah, number one. Well, as humans, that's the number one thing that we need, yeah. right? And and even as as adults, we know we have lots of people in our circle, but there's still moments where we just feel alone in what we're going through. So we should expect that our children have those same feelings yeah. and not just assume, well, you have a big family and grandma and grandpa come for Sunday supper all the time and you've got your teachers and your friends. Well, in that moment with what they're feeling, they might feel alone. Yeah. So. And people don't want to burden other people. Yeah. I mean, it's I hear it from adults all the time. I myself have been like, you have a lot going on. You don't need to know what's going on in my life. Mm-hmm. And so same with kids. Kids are the same. They can see... Oh, mom and dad are really busy with whatever issue or whatever things they're dealing with that they, you know, I don't want to worry them anymore. And that's often why kids don't tell their parents is they're a afraid of getting into trouble because of the messaging in the home, which we maybe don't even know we give, but also they don't want to burden or disappoint their family and, and make them worried. And that's valid for kids. Absolutely. So is there any anything else that you feel is really important that you, as like a final thought or information that you uh, want to, to let our listeners know? I know you'd mentioned, you know, there's BASAC, there's Battle River, there's Catholic Family Services, there's Concern for Youth, they have an amazing outreach program. There's the Boys and Girls Club, you know, there's lots of agencies in the Battlefords that provide connection and community for our children so is there anything else that you think you'd like to make sure you get out today yeah I mean I think and all of those agencies in some way shape or form create a suicide safer community because they maybe have taken training of some kind and they're aware and they're really like I think of that I spent some time with um, the Boys and Girls Club um, now training their young staff that some are still in high school in a, a half-day program called Safe Talk, which is suicide awareness for everyone, tell, ask, listen, keep safe. And so those, those youth who are running in that program have a little more awareness around suicide and they know who in the community or in their agency they can go to if they're really worried about a kid. Um, the last two days, I just spent time with Catholic Family Services and Keanu Child and Family Services teaching the ASSIST program. So that's um, Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training. So they got a little bit more t- you know, um, knowledge on how to do uh, safety planning and support people with suicide. So I think there's lots of places here that are suicide alert that can create a suicide safer community. And I'm just going to make a shout out on a few trainings that people can access. They can either find you or me and I can get them connected. But the Safe Talk is a half day training for anyone 15 and up. It's a it's a good training and be just becoming alert to suicide. Assist is a two day training and that is learning, really getting down into how do you ask about suicide? How do you create safety for people? It is a fairly wide, it's international 
training. Um, millions of people have been trained in it. It's, it's been lots of research around it. I think it's a good model for safety. Mm-hmm. It really focuses on connection. And then for anyone who wants, who works with or wants more information on specifically children, so under the age of 14, there's a program called the ASK Workshop, which is Assessing Suicide in Kids. And it really does look at what are those warning flags? How do we have these conversations? How do kids come to us? So looking at risk and protective factors, how do you talk to parents about this? So you're a teacher in the school and... You find out they're thinking of suicide. How do you have that conversation with the parents? Because you're going to have to have that conversation. Absolutely. So that that program teaches that. So those are some three like Canadian programs actually that are recognized outside of Canada. So yay for us being leaders in the area of suicide prevention and intervention. Absolutely. And that ask program specifically. Um, I just think what a value that get would be for anybody who's working with children. So, you know, anyone from the school division listening, <laughs> you should bring Jose in and have that done. Um, but just those extra, extra tools. And I really love the Suicide Safer community because that's what, you know, both of us do in our day to day is try to create safer, healthier communities through sometimes really hard conversations. But I'm so grateful that you were able to come on and have this talk. I know even myself, I've taken assist. I'm a registered social worker. I do not feel comfortable all the time when I have to ask the question. I mean, I do it, but it's not, it it takes a, a long time, I'm sure, to be comfortable asking. Um, but you just have to ask it. If you have any sort of thought or concern, it doesn't matter the age. Just ask the question and reach out for support. And like Jose said, there's tons of people in the community that that can join your community in supporting that child. 100%. And that the value of asking the question is you've told that person, I see you. Yep. I t- can tell you're struggling and I'm okay Maybe not really okay, but I'm going to try and be okay with this conversation. And I think people have a huge sense of relief knowing that somebody else is seeing their struggle. And so that is part of why it's really important to ask that question. Even though if you're like, oh my God, they say yes, I have no idea what to do next. Mm -hmm. There's resources out there. Call a crisis line with them with you, you know, and get them to walk you through the next steps. I think it's okay to say that. Like, thank you for sharing that with me. I don't know what to do right now, but we're going to figure it out together. Exactly. You don't, I think that's almost sometimes better than trying to fake that you know what you're doing. Like, let them know you see them, you hear them, you're with them, and together you'll figure it out. 100%. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm sure we'll have you back or maybe we'll get one of your wellness team on to talk more specifically about what they do. We love having guests on. It just makes things a little more interesting over here. And thank you to everyone who's listening to our podcast today. Thanks for having me, Amber.